pride of Limerick, a young man named Sean Sheehan. The MMA media, Don Graham McDonald. The severe MMA people that are coming to the local shows way before everyone else. To see them coming up and they're getting their shot, and I'm proud that people are coming up with me. Welcome, welcome everybody to episode 190 of the Severe MMA podcast. This week is a big week for MMA news. And Graham is away, so I decided to get on Philip O'Connor all the way over in Sweden. Philip, if, if you haven't heard him before, if you haven't listened to one of our Patreon podcasts, is a, a veteran journalist uh, covering MMA and all different sorts of sports and politics and everything. Philip, how are you? I'm brilliant, Sean. We had uh, the Stockholm Gales Christmas dinner last night, and it was tremendous giving out the awards. Now we went to like the ninth season of the club, but the big problem is that we have a Stockholm Gales five-a-side team, and I'm finding it very hard to find players today because uh, the lads and ladies are all in bits today. But other than that, that's a minor complaint to have, you know. Yeah, speaking of in bits, <laughs> I had uh, maybe one. Of, it was my my father's uh, birthday this weekend, and we went out for dinner last night, and sure came home oh, and watched a few fights, and you know, what, what else would you be? What else would you be doing? Well, I was look. I was looking at your social media, right? And you were awake, and then you weren't awake, and then you were awake, and you weren't awake. I was going, "What the hell is going on here?" Because you know, like usually I'd know if you were out for a few pints somewhere because I see it on Instagram, or whatever. So I had no idea what was going on. But I was going, "Okay, we'll just take it as a call. Maybe he'll call me in the afternoon. Maybe we'll do a podcast. Maybe we won't." But you managed to watch a few fights anyway. Did I, you? I, I know. I saw them all. Yeah, I saw them all. But I, I managed to, um, I managed to send like uh, what are they called? The, the pre plan. I don't know whatever they're called. Pre planned, scheduled post. There you go. On. Uh, uh, on um, Facebook and stuff, so that's probably what you saw. <laughs> I sound asleep, but I, I I managed to stay up and, and watch all the fights. Anyway, I suppose that's the, the kind of the first thing we can get into. I suppose is the fights. You yeah. know, there's a there's a lot of murky waters to travel this week, but we'll get to the the good stuff. I suppose first to, to brighten up everyone's uh, Sunday yeah, or Monday, exactly. whatever. Brian yeah. Ortega versus Max Holloway. Like <clears throat> watching watching this fight, and I, and I wrote an article about it beforehand, talking about how this over the last kind of eighteen months has become a fight that. You know, 18 months ago, if this fight had happened and played out the way it did, we wouldn't have been surprised. But the fact yeah. coming into this that everyone was thinking this is a close fight, I, I was the same. This this could be a really, really great fight if both guys do, you know, f- fight their best. And then Max Holloway produces what he produced. It It was just absolutely phenomenal, wasn't it? It was just incredible to watch that because the same thing, you always wonder, you know, how is the UFC going to keep going? Connor leaves the featherweight division to go, how how can they make this exciting again, you know? And then Max Holloway does what he did last night. I mean, it was an amazing fight as well, but it required two fighters to do that. I know Brian Ortega lost and that kind of thing. And, you know, he did. He got beat up a lot. He, he took a lot of shots and that kind of thing. But the, the, the heart of the guy in there last night to keep coming back, and he would have kept coming back until the doctor said, no, that's it, son. You're done, you know? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it was a tremendous fight, uh, two tremendous styles, Max Holloway with an incredible breadth of, of different techniques and that kind of thing, not bothered by the grappling exchanges at all I mean his jab was tremendous, his right hooks were tremendous, everything about it was absolutely brilliant and he was savage then when he did go at, at Ortega's eye, when he saw it, you know, it's very hard not to do that, you know, when Ortega's uh, eye started to swell up and that kind of thing you're going to keep throwing that hook because the less Ortega can see it, the less well he can defend it and that kind of thing, you know, so it was an incredible performance and a real all-round performance from Holloway. I'm not sure about this thing of oh you know the greatest featherweight of all time and that kind of thing I find those discussions really really hard because of recency bias and it's quite subjective when we saw such a great performance Conor was a great featherweight I mean but are we forgetting what Jose Aldo did for all those years and that kind of thing you know but certainly if he keeps going he's in the discussion because it not, not, let's not forget it was hugely entertaining as well the crowd was really into it as well yeah 100% like the, the greatest featherweight of all time debate is, is kind of an odd one when you know myself and Graham kind of always have it and Graham kind of always makes the point that the current champion is the best in MMA because it's such a young sport and because it's yeah. it's improving all the time and that's a I couldn't agree more 100% but you have to look at you know their their background what they've done the guys they've beaten <clears throat> you know how they've beaten them and everything like that and it's probably still Aldo for, at the moment but you, you know it's hard to look by um, the fact that Max Aldo has beaten Aldo twice, and you know people can say Aldo's past yeah. his prime and everything, but Aldo's still a, still a really good fighter. You know we see that with, when he comes out against uh, Frank Edgar, when he comes out against Jeremy Stevens, and you know beats them pretty mm-hmm. easily. So Max, like Max Holloway has those wins, and Max Holloway is he is so good. Like he's it's it's funny because you know we we talk in MMA all the time, and you know we I've had you on podcast before, and we've talked about maybe young prospects coming up and young guys in Ireland and all around the world, and you know th- this guy could be great. He could be a great prospect. Max Holloway is the living 
living embodiment of that. We've seen yep. him. You know, we we saw him against Conor McGregor when he was maybe what what three or four years into his career, maybe a, li- a little bit more. But he was just starting to reach his you know his the start of his prime. And then over the next two three years, he won 10, 11 fights in a row now. And this guy mm. has just developed into one of the most phenomenal fighters we've ever seen in the UFC. He's an absolute juggernaut of a fighter, and it's amazing. Like you know, you obviously you cover other sports as well, and we see you know we see guys develop. You know whether it's you know Jesse Lingard playing for Man United and Alex Ferguson saying this guy's going to develop over the next six years or whether it's you know Ronaldo developing really quickly or other pe- people like that it's this development in MMA fighters is something that maybe isn't seen as clearly as we see with Max Holloway because maybe sometimes you know like kind of like a McGregor he has developed before he gets into the UFC or you know sometimes they change camp and it develops out of somewhere but they, you know this development of young talent coming up is just amazing to see Max Holloway do that was just amazing as well well I think it's it, like we understand so little about the development of the sport because the support is uh, because the sport itself is so broad right you need to be able to strike and you need to be able to grapple you need footwork you need head movement is one of the things we'll probably talk about in relation to the other fights and that kind of thing right but when you compare to Max Holloway that fought last night to the one that fought with Conor McGregor he has spent years and years and years of diligent work learning how to strike and to move and to plan fights and to pace fights in the way that he did last night because he went in there knowing that Ortega is not going to quit. He went in there knowing that he's no pushover. He also went in there knowing that I can't just use one or two or three shots or one or two or three tactics in this way. I'm going to have to use absolutely everything. I'm going to have to do stuff on the fly. I'm going to have to defend as well. And if we looked at the, the man of a fight last night in which there was no defense whatsoever for the whatever round and a half that the thing went, you know, and it was incredible to see those aspects of it as well, getting out of trouble, having to breathe, a resetting, changing stance, all that kind of thing. And it's just sheer hard work. And that, if we go back to the Connor fight against Khabib, it struck me then, especially what John Kavanagh said about afterwards, that they didn't work on striking at all. They only really worked on wrestling and grappling for, for that fight. I think, how can you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, this sport is developing all the time. Ronda Rousey disappeared for a while. She came back and the whole game had changed. And anybody spending that long away from it is going to, like, it's going to change. You have to be in the gym working on these things all the time. You have to be there fighting and seeing what other people are working on. So, I mean, it's a testament to the work that Max Holloway has put in because it's still a relatively badly paid sport. I haven't seen now what the salaries were they were paid. I don't know if the Toronto Athletic Commission or whoever sanctioned those fights is going to release those figures. But it's still quite badly paid for the work that they have to put in. I know here in Stockholm at the All-Stars gym that uh, Alexander Gustafsson is in there morning, noon and night now with, uh, with Ilya Latifi. Jimmy Manor was there with them. You know, they're working the whole time just to get him ready for John Jones. Now, John has obviously been out of the, the octagon for a while now as well. So it's going to be fascinating to see how that is. But there's nothing in this game without hard work, Sean. You know, that's, and that's Holloway last night. That was what we saw was the culmination of all of those years that he's put in as an amateur, as a young professional. And now as a season provider uh, fighter that we're talking about as the best featherweight of all time right now and the funny thing is as well you know that preparation is being curtailed because of injuries and because of you know people pulling out of fights against him because of him you know turning up the fights uh the week of and getting pulled out of him as well like it's it's that, and that was kind of the, the the basis for me thinking this fight could be close you know because yeah it's not it's you know what you said there is 100% true and you know I just talked about I talk about all the time I talked about it earlier in this podcast prospects developing over years and years and years but it's a funny thing too you know we look you know I mentioned soccer players earlier on look at the likes of Fernando Torres Andres Shevchenko mm-hmm. Wayne Rooney you can for years and years and years you can be excellent developing and then you can fall off a cliff straight away Yep. And that that happens in MMA as well. Make no, you know, make no mistake about it. And it's, you know, sometimes you get okay, you get beaten by better fighters or whatever, but sometimes you just it's just your time. Now, it, it was maybe a bit foolish to think that would happen to, to Max Holloway at this stage because he's still young and everything like that and he's kind of just reaching his prime. But, you know, you have to look at things like that when you're talking about injuries and everything like that and and you know, just two years of kind of turmoil you know he's he i i mentioned the column i wrote before he was like brian ortega coming up you know he won uh you know contender bout after contender bout and then he got the championship and it stalled you know they, 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 something yeah. just not quite right there so i think that makes the victory last night you know even better to kind of come through that adver- adversity and win and that's kind of that's the mark of a champion too isn't it 
Well, I think it, exactly the mentality, you can't forget that what it takes to get up in the morning, you know. I think Daniel Cormier spoke a lot about this as well, you know. Like when you're hungry and you're coming up and that kind of thing, it's easy to get up in the morning at four o'clock and go running and do your running before work and that kind of thing. When you have a million dollars in the bank or when you know you're getting paid $400,000 or whatever just to turn up for a fight, it's an awful lot harder to get out of bed and to do your cardio work or to go to the gym then, you know. But Holloway has that thing, the way Connor has that thing as well. That, you know, Connor now that he's lost to Khabib Nurmagomedov, I can imagine he's going to come back a completely different fighter. He's going to like rediscover the discipline that made him who he was to begin with you know but not all fighters can do that you know and there's a great parallel actually to be drawn to the, to the NBA the National Basketball Association in um, in America I watch a lot of it and I watch a lot of Boston Celtics and I was listening to a guy called Terry Rozier who came in and when he was drafted like people were going who's this guy and he turned into an absolutely brilliant player in the playoffs last year but now he's back on the bench and he's having this time you, know, like, you need time to develop you need to be out there you need to be putting in the minutes in the way you'd be putting in the reps in the gym as a fighter and that kind of thing and he struggling now saying do I need to stay here and be on the bench of this great team that might win a championship or do I need to go somewhere else where I can play a half an hour 35 minutes every night is that what's best for my development you know now Max Holloway obviously found a solution to that problem you know from losing championship fights and from you know the wheels coming off the wagon a little bit but then if you look at Frankie Edgar like you know a couple of really tough fights a couple of hard knockouts have really knocked the wheels off his wagon as well some people don't recover Ronda Rousey never recovered from that kind of adversity she won and she won and she won and she won and then when she lost she was done and you know Jose Aldo as well was like you know you couldn't knock that guy off his perch at all until Connor knocked him out after 13 seconds and he really really struggled and it took a switch of weight class and that kind of thing for him to rediscover who he was as a fighter and to find his way back into the game as well because when you do lose like that because Ronda was you know for brilliant as she was she was quite a one-dimensional fighter in her own way I mean, it was uh, throw somebody and then get an armbar, and that was the end of the fight. And then the fight game developed beyond that, and that we saw that in uh, in the women's title fight again last night. You know how rounded those two were, and how you know between uh, uh, Shevchenko and Johanna last night, that was an incredible fight in terms of the, the array of skills that were on there. I can't ever imagine Ronda Rousey being able to put on that kind of fight at that stage in her career when she, you know, when the game was up for her, that was it, it was over, kind of thing. So it's incredible now for Holloway, and it'll be incredible to see because again, lightweight and featherweight are kind of shark tanks there there's a lot of good contenders out there I mean Ortega's not done this is not you know he has more that he can develop we saw that last night he didn't go to his grappling as quickly maybe as he should have last night to close the distance to Max Holloway and not let Max pick his shots and he'll know that when he wakes up this morning so he's a contender he's floating around there as well there's still good fights out there for Holloway to have so how much longer can he keep this thing going because like you say the, like this game waits for no man it's just, or woman either you know it just keeps developing the whole time and that's what makes it fascinating to watch at this point in time 100%. I suppose, you know, before we move on to, to the, the other championship fight, let, let's just kind of roll through what actually happened in the fight and, you know, how Max Holloway beat Brian Ortega so easily. It wasn't easily, but, you know, he beat him brilliantly. Just comfortably. Yeah, comfortably, comfortably just, it has to be said. Just, yeah. just brilliantly. Like, I, I thought, what Holloway did, you know, <laughs> more than anything, is he won the battle for distance. You know, Brian yep. Ortega against Frank Edgar, he beat him in that distance. You know, he, he beat him from the outside. He landed his big shots from the outside. Max Holloway kind of took... He, he didn't take that away from him totally, but he beat him at that distance. He jabbed him. That double jab was absolutely fantastic. Um, yep. the, the fake he was throwing, you know, to kind of... He was faking a jab and then coming in inside with the left hook. Just everything. You know, the, the, and I talk about a jab all the time and people, you know, probably get annoyed at me talking about it all the time. But if you throw a jab like that it just puts everything off your lead imagine yeah. like you're trying to do something and just someone poking at you all the time just poking at you and poking at you and poking at you constantly that imagine how annoying that would get and then your face is getting marked up and then you're bleeding out of your nose and then you're getting caught and everything just absolutely brilliant but max holloway like i mentioned earlier and i mentioned my column as well like he is the truest form of juggernaut in mma he just keeps coming and coming and coming and never ever stops and he doesn't you know other guys do it with with just constant pressure max holloway does it with like constant strikes like he's the fighter you want to be like he's the fighter i watch and uh, you know i, I watch uh when we talk about uh dos Anjos last week i talk about anthony pettis all the time and i'm always like imploring these guys throw your fucking jab throw straights down the middle <laughs> this is this is how you get off the fins this is how you push forward this is how you beat yeah. guys and i'm telling you right here and right now max Holloway would beat habib Nurmagomedov if they fought 100 he is the guy to beat habib Nurmagomedov. he has hold the, the front page kids hold the front page big news there for sure so you reckon the Holloway? It's, it's a it's a fascinating idea, right? And like I do think you're. 
entirely right. The jab to me is the most important punch in either boxing or mixed martial arts because like, whoever controls the distance controls the fight, right? Mm-hmm. And if we think back now, I know you want to talk about this fight specifically, but there's one punch I wanted to talk about that I saw last night that fascinated me. And that was at the start of the second round in the Manawa fight, right? Jimmy came out and yeah, he was hit with a straight left right down the middle. And I went, Jimmy is going to lose this fight, right? Because he was taking no caution whatsoever. He was taking, okay, I got to get hit with this and that kind of thing. What, what Max does so well is that he makes you change the angles and then he changes the angles himself, right? Mm-hmm. So he leads with that double jab, right? And he can go either left or right. Doesn't bother him which hand he's hooking with, right? But it may bother you. And Ortega never solved that problem. He could not get his head off the center line for long enough. He got his head off the center line. But what he was doing was he was just putting it into the way of one of those hooks. That left hook that you just mentioned would just come straight over the top and bang. Or, you know, he'd, he'd shift to the other angle. He'd shift to his left-hand side and walk straight into to Holloway's right hand. And the more his eye closed up, the more he did that. And he didn't have the sense to do what Floyd Mayweather do, does so well, which is hold up uh, the, the other hand so much higher. So if he had gone into a southpaw stance and held up the left hand to protect his eye and to protect that side of his head so much, he wouldn't have suffered so much. But that comes from fatigue. But it also comes from the fact that, you know, Holloway's never going to let you lie. You know, he's never going to let you rest there. He's never going to let you just stand back in the pocket. You know, he's going to keep coming forward with that jab and keep poking away at you. And then it's like, uh, but the, the variety of punches that he threw as well off the back of that jab was what was absolutely brilliant. And kicks too, but less so. It was mostly punching that he did last night. But it was just an incredible away of punches. And I mean, you know, I'd, I'd say Ortega must have felt like he was fucking surrounded at certain mm-hmm. points in that fight last night, you know, but it was just, it was truly brilliant. But without that jab, if he hadn't thrown that jab at all last night, you know, it wouldn't have been there. But tell me a little bit more about why you think you do you think that that jab could keep Khabib Nurmagomedov out of his range because Connor never managed to do that I don't think Connor even tried that hard to throw the jab and keep him out of there but do you reckon that that's what Max would be able to do to him 100% like Habib Nurmagomedov Connor did it a little bit at the very start but Habib remember like Habib took him down by running at him and like leaping out of out of a, a kind of a backward stance with a takedown and McGregor threw a knee like you couldn't do something stupider against Habib Nurmagomedov than throw, throw a low knee when he's coming inside. Like, you, okay, you might knock him out if you fight him a thousand times, and you might knock yeah. him out once, like, but it's absolutely idiotic. So, like, we didn't really see it against McGregor. We saw it a bit in the, in the third round when they were getting, you know, a bit tired and stuff. But Habib, like, I, I talked about it before, and I did analysis in this before the McGregor fight, and I did it before other Habib fights. The way to beat Habib is to push him back and keep him back. What does yeah. Max Holloway do to everyone? He pushes them back and he keeps them back. Like, yep. look at this fight. You know, you mentioned there about Ortega and, uh, you know, he'd probably be kicking himself if he didn't grapple more. Like, I I usually agree with that. But after this, I just, I don't think he could do anything. Like, I I, uh, yeah. I was taking down notes on, on each round in this. And I think it was the, the third round. I, my notes were... Uh, Brian Ortega landed 10 clean punches and still lost comfortably like yeah. that, that happened that's something that can happen against Max Holloway like Max Holloway it might it's not maybe not the smartest tactic in the world maybe it wasn't a tactic at all maybe we're not giving Brian Ortega enough credit but he gave Brian Ortega enough rope to hang himself like he Brian yeah. Ortega he he was comfortable enough on the feet that he thought maybe he could get the knockout and then if he tried to change that up Max Holloway just kind of engulfed him and overtook him as you know you mentioned coming from every angle he doesn't know where he's coming from and like especially I think it was the fourth round wasn't it where Max Holloway I think he said it to Joe Rogan before the round I'm going to finish this and then he comes out yeah. and he bloodies up his eye and his eye went totally red and he just went for it like uh, sometimes we talk about fighters you know they're like a McGregor or like a Vitor Belfort or something like that these guys are kind of one round fighters and they, you know they might as well come out and go for it in one round and try to, to, to just knock him out Max Holloway did that in the fourth round of a fucking championship fight <laughs> against Brian Ar- Imagine, um, just imagine how fit and how confident and how good you have to be to do that. Um, like, but, but, this guy's I think amazing. That, that, that was the big thing, right? Because Ortega, to me, if you're going to go grapple in that fight, right, he, he was probably waiting for, for Max to get a little bit tired and then he'd go and grapple and take him down and that kind of thing. Oh, a little the way, you know, some people would expect Connor. Like, Nate Diaz tried to let uh, Connor punch himself out. And then, you know, in the Madison Square Garden fight, you know, like it happened very, very quickly in Las Vegas. And then the Madison Square Garden fight, it never really happened at all. And Connor was able to deal with it, you know. But that never happened with Holloway last night. Holloway was always, he, he like, his conditioning was so much better last night that by the time Ortega was going, now it's 
time to grapple. It was too late because he was the more tired fighter, you know. And he like maybe that's that's why I was saying that maybe he should have gone to that tactic earlier because even if he could just sort of you know try to wrap him up and, and you know put weight in him against the fence and that kind of thing, he might have tired Max Holloway out a little bit more. I don't think so, but like it might have been a better tactic to try because at least if you're in close, he's not going to be able to pick you off with the shots the way that he did for the first three rounds of that fight, mm-hmm. you know. Because Ortega wasn't really all that successful in his grappling. I mean, you got to hand it to Holloway as well that he stuffed whatever was coming in. He was able to get back to his feet anytime he did wind up on the mat. He was very quick to get up, you know. But again, like you know, that, that the, the way he picked him off. I mean, again, the conditioning is something that he probably doesn't get enough credit for. But to go out like you say in the fourth round and say, right, I'm going to finish this, you know, because the thing about Ortega as well was that he was, as you said, he landed like ten clean strikes, but he was just getting hit with two or three at, at the same time, or, or you know, in the sort of five seconds after that, uh, Holloway would would back him up and he'd hit him with two or three clean hooks or that kind of thing, and that that made it really difficult. He was throwing it uppercuts there at one point as well. He, you know, an uppercut, you got to get that little bit closer for an uppercut. So that says to me that he wasn't that worried about the takedown by that point. He knew that he kind of had the fight where he wanted it. So he could go in and throw whatever he wanted and just pick his shots then. Mm-hmm, 100%. And like, you know, we, we'll, we'll probably be talking about this fight a lot over over the coming years and stuff because it's, you know, it was such a great fight. But let, let's move on to the uh, to the coming and, you know, what, what's next for, for uh, Max Holloway? Khabib or Megan Mellon? Nothing else. That's it. Make That's that it. fight next. Make that yep. fight. Let him go up. Give and it he, to us. Give it no, to us quickly. He, he struggled to make way at the ring, so let's do that. All right, let's move on to the the core main event here. And this fight, I don't know, like, watching this fight, or thinking about this fight beforehand, I kind of expected it to go the way it did, but maybe thought it could be a little bit closer. You know, Valentina Shevchenko, and maybe I didn't expect uh, as many takedowns from Valentina, which was, you know, really, really smart. Maybe a little bit of a game changer from what she has done in the past, and a lot of those close decisions, I don't think, you know, this was this was very close at all. Obviously, she came out in the first round, took and Jay checked down. Uh, in the second, she got a late takedown again after a relatively close round, where there wasn't really much happening. The third was the, the one close round. I... I almost gave it to to Ian Jacek, but I'm, you know I'm not too sure that the fourth in there was a takedown again for for a Valentina and uh, the fifth was relatively close again, but Valentina won. Like I think you know you mentioned there about Brian or, or uh, Max Holloway against Brian Ortega. You know he comes in from all angles, he just beats him from from the angles, and you know he works his angles very well. I think that's how everyone beats you on Ian Jacek these days. I think that's how Rose yep. Eunice beat her, and I think that's how Valentina Shashinko beat her last night as well. Like you wanna in you know at her base, is a very forward and back sort of fighter. And that's a that's a great way to go. You know, I talk about it all the time, about throwing your jab and throwing your straight up through the middle. But if you just do that and you don't really mix it up and you don't really carry big power when you're doing that, it's very difficult. You know, it's very difficult and very, you know, variety is, is the spice of life. And especially in MMA, you know, if you're not throwing hooks around the, the corner, if you're not throwing big legs, leg kicks coming in, if you're not putting people against the fence and clinching them up, if you're not taking people down as well, you know, you're you're missing all those things and it's, ne- you know, it's never going to work for you. Your big problem as well with Ioana is, is that clinch. You know, maybe it happened five or six times, maybe not even that many times, but it, like there was one period I remember when it was like maybe 90 seconds of clinch work and when you're a fighter like Ioana who is probably going out to try to win a five-round decision. That is very, very tough to do. You know, when it's when it's close, and I know, you know, we talk about octagon control and all, it shouldn't score, but when rounds are very close, it should score. When there's a late takedown and a very close round, that's going to score as well. You know, so Joanna's style is, is a very... <coughs> I don't know it's limited the word but it's a very limited in terms of ways you can win and I think Valentina's style is more you know against the style like that and I know Valentina goes to a lot of decisions she went to the decision again last night but I think it's the, the you know power shots are what score in MMA big takedowns and big uh, you know um, ground and pound are what score in MMA and if you can do that against someone who's just thrown straight up and, up and down the middle and they don't really hurt that much or they don't really score that much it you know that's, that's going to be a tough night but Look, overall, I think it was a kind of a, a, a maybe not a coming of age for Valentina Shashinko, but there was definitely a fight that you know she kind of deserved, and definitely a belt that she deserved as well, wasn't it? Oh yeah, no, she absolutely like for me, she won that fight comfortably. You know, now we can get into you know who won what round and who who how many points were scored, but there was there was only one winner in that fight, right? But the way she mixed it up and she was really really heavy when she got Joanne on the ground, she was really really heavy on her, like she controlled her really really well on the deck, and that was a side where that maybe we haven't really seen before and that we didn't expect her to pull out last night, but she did, and she scored a brilliant victory because of it. But what like you know we talked about Max Holloway's jab being what set up the, the success in his fight. I mean Joanna's jab was, was what set up her 
her failure. Because if you look back over the fight, especially in the first couple of rounds, right, she throws the double jab, a lot like Max, but it's, you know, it must be six, eight inches short, like 30 centimetres yeah. short. It, so it didn't hit Valentina at all. It didn't obstruct her vision. It didn't stop her doing anything. Whereas the, the problem with Max's jab was as soon as you got into range, bang, that was it. Now, you, you also use your jab to find range for your other shots, right? So if you're not landing your jab, you can't land anything else, you know? So she was walking in on that. And sometimes, you know, she'd throw the double jab and then she might throw a kick to the head and that kind of thing. But there was literally nothing coming behind it because she couldn't manage the distance at all. Now, you know, I would imagine that probably has something to do with the respect that she has for Valentina Shevchenko's kickboxing and for, for her boxing and for her striking in general, you know? But it's a really, really bad game plan to be going along that rail forward and back, forward and back, forward and back and never finding something that works for you. Whereas Valentina was mixing up the strikes, as you say, power shots land. She did a couple of spinning back kicks there where she planted a heel in, jo in Johanna's midriff and just pushed her back and that kind of thing. That always scores because, you know, you can see the power when somebody is forced to stagger backwards and that kind of thing. The takedown she nearly had at will, you know. I mean, Johanna did well to get back to her feet at some points, but once she got into that clinch and that kind of thing, she got a couple of lovely trips on her and she got down hard into side control and heavy into side control and tied her up. It's a shame really that there's just a little bit of a lack of, of uh, you know, we're getting a lot of decisions in the lower women's weight classes like that. You know, you'd like to see some more knockouts, some more TKOs and that kind of thing, but it's very, very heavy or it's very, very hard to control somebody on the deck to get ground and pound and that kind of thing. But I mean, it just, Joanna seems to be one of those that, you know, when she lost uh, to Rose Namajunas, she's another one who somebody hit the pause button on her development there. Exactly. She's still kind of doing the same things, and it's not giving her what she needs to keep up or to get back up up in the in the the sort of the, the foremost contenders with the wrestling guys. And she like how many is that? That's is that three out of four losses now? I can't remember exactly. Yeah, now. I think I think it's uh, yeah. She lost twice to Rose and and then this one as well. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So there's not no great danger. She's not going to be cut at the moment because she is one of the best in the in the division there, or she's one of the best in women's mixed martial arts at the moment. And she puts on exciting fights. I know the decisions, you know, but you can watch her for five rounds. You're not going to get bored, you know. But at the same time, you know, you got to find out what is it, where's the stoppage here? Why, why can't she get over this particular hump here? Is it mental? You know, one thing that says, like, a jab that doesn't land to me always says that the fighter's tentative, right? They're afraid of getting in there and mixing it up, that they won't be able to get out in time and that kind of thing. And this has a lot to do with the straight on, straight back style that she fights. A lot of the thing to do with boxing, mixed martial arts is if you come in straight, you need to get out at an angle because you don't want your head to be in the same place. Johanna's head moved not that great last night and she looked to me to be a little bit worried about that kind of thing but that said a lot like Brian Ortega there's a lot there that she can improve upon and she can absolutely come back a better fighter and there's absolutely fights there that we're going to want to see 100% yeah like <clears throat> you know I talked earlier about you know you, you get to an age and you fall off a cliff or something like that I don't think that happened to Joanna but in MMA if you're not moving forward you're moving backwards like you have yep. to be going with the development you have to be improving and improving and improving and I you know I don't think that's something that you want to in Jacek has done I, I really don't I, I think she's pretty much the same fighter she was when she was champion when she came in to the UFC and that's you know that that's no good and and you're always going to be caught up like that because this game moves too quickly but yeah look I'd like to see her down at 115 pounds again I know you know she talks about the wake up but she's a, you know she's very slender she, I I think 115 is is fine for her and for Shevchenko you know that that display last night as well was it showed that she, you know there's a lot of, that that 125 pound division is very much 135 and 115 kind of coming to one that maybe that sounds a bit yeah. weird but like you know when you have someone coming down from 135 and you're fighting maybe 115 pounders you're talking about them being a little bit faster and everything her Th that wasn't the case at all last night against Joanna she was much faster than her very well timed all of her shots you know you you talked about Joanna's moving her head I agreed I, I agree with that to a certain extent but I think the way Valentina fought. You know, the way she counters, she just she doesn't give you much of a chance to move your head really she hits it you know when you're attacking that it's she's yeah. a, a real master she hits you on the way in like, exactly you know, you, you, you're in you might land your shot you're not going to land it clean but she's going to bang you up you know pretty sharply and it was it was incredibly quick how quick 100%. she was to react to Joanna on the way in 100% but it's look a great performance for her and who's next we don't really know Jessica and uh, and uh, Caitlin Chukagan fought last night in just a dire boring fight and <laughs> it's you know it's probably going to be Jessica and like I could see that going five rounds. You think, you you think Shevchenko should should just beat her up out of there, but Shevchenko doesn't seem to be you know wanting to take too many chances, and you know who who can blame her, I suppose. But that just has the the marks of a horrendous fight written all over. So <laughs> hopefully you know we can get someone else in there and not give Jessica the title fight. But however, um, all right, let's move on. We, we'll touch a few of these uh, these fights quickly before we we move on. Gunnar Nelson, just you know, great display that that first round. You know, 
he did what kind of I've been imploring Gunnar Nelson to do for a long time. Push a guy against the fence and take him down. And yep. he he did that against Alex Oliveira, but Alex Oliveira held the cage. Um, again, you know, I thought it was this was another Ponzinibbio where Gunnar Nelson got eye-poked and he was going to lose this fight because Alex Oliveira came strong. He, had, he was in, I think he was in Mount at one stage. He was beating Gunnar Nelson down on top, you know, and obviously from the, you know, the takedown that wasn't given. Um, where he held the fence, he put him against yes. the fence again. And like, what's the point? You're giving Gunnar Nelson back to position. You're not giving him back to position at all. You're giving him back to position. He had three seconds earlier. You should yep. put Oliveira on the ground and put Gunnar Nelson on top of him. Like this rule needs to be changed. This is like people say, take a point. No, the, to take a point is too much. You need to put him on the ground. Give him to position. Like it's a simple solution to this problem. That they, they need to do that. But however, anyway, look, Gunnar Nelson went on. He he held in there for the first round. In the second round, he got to the the, the fight to the ground. Was uh, you know Joe Rogan said in commentary, and he I tell you, I thought you know we can criticize Joe Rogan, but I thought he commented very well on this fight. When Gunnar Nelson got on top, when he got into the mount, he was very very cautious. You know he was just kind of laying on top of him and laying on top of him, and then he decided, okay, I got risk control now. I'm gonna pull this arm down and I'm gonna belt him with an elbow right down the face, and he caught him absolutely up. One of the worst cuts, one of the worst gushing cuts anyway I've seen in the UFC ever. Uh, uh, Cowboy gave up his back and he was kind of tapping before Gunnar Nelson even had the choke in but he knew it was over uh, at that stage but it was like a, a great display from Gunnar Nelson to kind of come back from what happened in the first round and you know after that Ponzinibbio fight as well and it's good to see Gunnar Nelson back isn't it yeah, no, he was fantastic. Like, I was a little bit disappointed when he was on his back and Oliveira was over him, landing shots. Oliveira was standing over him, landing shots. He's going, Cody, what the fuck is this? You know, you can't be lying there and just letting the guy with big long arms like that sort of pick you off and land shots on your face and on your head and that kind of thing. So, kind of thought, I was sort of expecting Gunnar to sort of slide in under him, try to use butterfly hooks or try to get a grip on a heel or something like that and, and you know, pull off some sort of a sweep where he could get up at least into, you know, some form of guard or half guard or something like that. But he seemed to sort of accept it because was late in the round there I think he was a little bit nervous about trying to back away too much because he had the fence quite close by and that you know so it was a bit weird it was a bit passive for me but then in the second round when they're back on the feet and that kind of thing then he was fine and when he got up into that mountain that kind of thing he did exactly the right thing in taking his time there because when you're heavy there and you're pressing your hips down into your opponent that kind of thing you don't want to be uh, flipped off you don't want to be swept in that position because you come under you're in closed guard you're in your own closed guard so to speak you have your opponent to close guard and it's a really soul destroying thing after going to all the trouble of getting to melt but that elbow I mean to me that was the end of the fight there Oliveira could have clapped could have tapped there right because I think he got the fright of his life when blood started running into his eyes and that kind of thing when he saw you know when the crimson started to flow as they say you know and I think then as soon as Gunny just got the arm under the neck he just tapped and that was it because I think he realised exactly how serious it was and it wouldn't have surprised me to see the referee step in there as well because I mean it really was absolutely flying out there you know so I mean but that, that's not to say that Gunny was gifted the victory just because of the cut it was far from it you he know? inflicted he, the cost no? <laughs> yeah. he sure did and I mean it was an absolutely lethal elbow and again the risk control like you say Joe Rogan called it very well Joe Rogan and the lads like I mean I thought Felder was great last night Joe, Joe Rogan drove me mad you know yeah, it's yeah. like don't, don't don't tell me what I'm seeing like you know I, I can see what's going on here for myself you know tell me why it's happening and Felder was brilliant at that last night explaining why the doctors were being called in in certain situations or why somebody was struggling to get out of a, a particular position or that kind of thing but Joe Rogan just drove be demented to hell whatever it was great to see Gunnar Nelson back I mean I remember after the Ponzinibbio fight I was really disappointed because I didn't realise at the time that he got poked in the eye I thought Jesus that's really bad mm-hmm. it was a real cheap loss on, on his uh, on his record you know but he looked good last night he came out in that lovely wide stance that he has a bit like Wonderboy Thompson you know and he went in there and you know when he got him on the on the, uh, on the fence and that kind of thing if you looked at his footwork and that was real wrestling footwork it wasn't jiu-jitsu footwork at all when he had him up against the fence just before uh, Oliveira grabbed the fence to stop the takedown and that. but 100% that really annoyed me when he grabbed the fence there and that you know put him down there put Gunny inside control restart the fight from there because it really is like you know no it's probably a reflex as well nobody's going to wind up want to wind up on the deck under Gunnar Nelson you're just not going to want to be there you know but uh you know put him down on the deck and let him go but you're kind of surprised as well when you see a Brazilian who doesn't want to take the fight to the ground but Gunnar's just extremely slick and actually the jiu-jitsu club that I'm a member of a lot of uh, people were over training with him in Mjolnir and he's a real uh, humble kind guy he gives his time to everybody and that kind of thing went out there you know I saw Ada Goodjonson, the former Chelsea Barcelona forward, was getting on a plane last night. He's gone. Oh, I hope I get off the plane and Goody's won. So he was like uh, cheering for him as was the rest of Iceland, you know. But I mean, what what, like, what do we do with Gunny now? Because you know he's kind of in a little bit no man's land where you can't really give him a tight little fight yet. But you know he was back. He was really back to his best last night. Yeah, I th- look, I think there's lots of good fights there for him, and I- I've always thought the the 
the Cowboys are only five was a good fight now. Cowboys kind of going back down to 115 pounds or 155 pounds even. But you know, I think, yeah. there, I think there's a lot of good fight. Darren Till fight makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think yeah, I think the Wonder Boy Thompson fight makes a bit of sense as well. But Wonder Boy kind of not getting back in there anytime soon against the uh, you know Woodley. I think in Europe, I think Wonder Boy versus Gunnar Nelson. I've said it for a long time would be a great fight, a great stylistic matchup as well. So uh, you know, I, I think that's a lot of sense. But you know, big things definitely coming from Gunnar Nelson. You know, also on this card, Brad Katona fights out of out of SPG as well. Well, he had a good win. Obviously, he won the, the last season of Tough. Diego Lima had a big KO punch, uh, Shades of Rampage uh, versus Wanderlei. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Tiago Santos versus Jimmy Manuel. Just an insane fight. Tiago Santos managed, uh, <laughs> he managed to knock him out early uh, in round two. And I have to mention as well, uh, Nina Ansarov against Claudia Gidalia. Just an unbelievable display of jabbing and control from the outside. Just absolutely brilliant display from Nina Ansarov. You know, I can't. I, you know, I can't credit her enough. I, I thought that was absolutely phenomenal. So, so 100% fair. Yeah, because that's unusual as well. Because usually if you control the fight with a jab, you're doing it from the center of the octagon. Whereas this was kind of a little bit the opposite. You know, she was sort of wandering around Claudia Galea and picking her off and using her, for, her superb footwork and that kind of thing. And it was a close enough fight, but I mean, she definitely deserved that decision. All right, I suppose uh, moving on here and, well, actually kind of moving backwards, I suppose, a little bit. You know, one of the big stories coming into UFC 231 was the press conference and the media, and I'm, I'm glad I have you on this week because uh, you're, you're a good man to talk about this. Obviously, you know, if people haven't heard about it, uh, there was a press conference for UFC 231 before the fight, obviously the normal pre-fight press conference, and apparently a rogue member of the UFC PR came in and told the media not to ask about anything apart from um, UFC 231 and the fights and stuff, which a lot of people, you know, took as don't ask about Greg Hardy because that, kind of news that he was fighting on the same card as uh, Rachel Ostevich has come out that day. And, you know, that obviously miffed a lot of people. Now, it went to the, you know, the MMA, MMAJA got involved, the Journalist Association, and they got kind of, uh, how would you put it, a pool reporter, I think there was a phrase to use, in and Sean Alchatty got in and asked questions to Dana White in the interview he usually gives to the, the ESPN and the big stations like that, which was a bit, a bit of a compromise. But... What was your whole whole take on this situation? How it was handled by the MMAJ and all that? Okay, the the first thing we need to say about this is nobody tells me what to ask, right? Mm-hmm. I go in there and I ask the questions that I want to ask. Now, if they don't like them, that's fine. If they don't want to ask them, that's also fine because that's an answer in itself, right? So for the, the UFC to go in there and say, oh, you know, only questions about the fights uh, this week and that kind of thing, that's not okay, right? But the problem that the MMAJA and that mixed martial arts journalism has is that it's in its infancy, very much like the sport. It comes from an amateur background, very much like the sport. So you have people who are writing about the sport who maybe haven't been to journalism journalism school or that kind of thing who don't understand how these things are supposed to work right mm-hmm. so it, like in that situation like I say I had a re- like recently with the um, the Swedish national soccer team there's two players there one is very close to your heart Victor Nilsson Lindelof who plays for Manchester United mm-hmm. and the other is Robin Olsen in Roma right now both of those players were criticised at various times during this year by the Swedish media they went on to play in the World Cup they played very well but the two lads sort of boycotted um the, the media, they wouldn't answer questions in the mix zone and that kind of thing. And that all came out. And then the Swedish Football Association, Football Association came out and said, you're not to ask them questions about their club situation. I was like, lads, that's about all we do when we see them. So we talk about the national team, but we also talk about how it is in their clubs and that kind of thing. And this is the first time it's ever happened. It'll also be the last time because the Swedish Football Association was told where to go, basically, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, like the, you're talking about sort of, you know, very, very experienced journalists like myself and a good few others, but the MMAJA doesn't really have that. Those weren't the people on the ground at the time so however much they didn't like it they decided okay we'll accept this and we'll go in and we'll do the thing we'll ask the questions about the fights and we'll deal with it afterwards now the Mixed Martial Arts Journalists Association hasn't existed for a long time either and there's no real policy in place for what you do now what we also need to remember is that the UFC is de facto a governing body of the sport and the biggest governing body in the sport but it's also a private company. So, you know, it's not like where, you know, um, a journalist association or the NUJ or somebody can contact FIFA or UEFA or anybody like that because, you know, it's up to them. They run the shows. They can let in whoever they want to run. Now, it looks really bad for them if they, if they when they kicked out Ariel Hawani because he broke the story about Brock Lesnar coming back, it looks really, really bad. And I remember going into bat for Ariel saying that this isn't okay. But, you know, we're still trying to settle on a collection of rules, on a set of rules, on accepted practices for these things. Journalistically, what the UFC did was entirely 
entirely wrong. But it's really, really difficult to deal with them, Sean. Of all the the, uh, the professional bodies that I deal with, they are probably the least professional. They haven't a clue what they're doing. They try to control absolutely everything about it. Dana White still won't talk to me. I don't know how many years I'm asking him for an interview now, and he just will not do it. I don't know why. It's the biggest news agency in the world that I'd be writing it for, and they just do not want to do it. They ask it to send in questions before you interview them and something like that. I've done it once or twice. The interview hasn't happened. And now I've said I'm never doing that again, you know? And I mean, they'd say, oh, you know, it's because he wants to be prepared and that kind of thing. Look, we're adults. We can have a conversation about the sport of mixed martial arts without these things, right? The problem with Greg Hardy is, and this is a huge problem in the United States in general at the moment, is that uh, there is a problem with athletes and domestic violence in the United States of America. The NFL has a serious problem with it. I've seen two or three players let go recently because of it. Greg Hardy himself comes from the NFL. There's a basketball player called Jabari Parker, plays for the Boston Celtics. Was He's still sort of in limbo now because he's been accused of trying to choke his girlfriend or his then-girlfriend. So he's in limbo and he's waiting on his trial to come up. But if that, you know, if he's found guilty of that, he's gone. He's out of the club and that kind of thing. It happens far too often. And the reaction by the likes of the UFC, the NFL, the NBA, the NBA were very quick to, to act in the Parker case. But it's often, let us say, underwhelming, right? It's a really bad look for the sport to have Greg Hardy brought in the way he has been brought in, to go through the contender series, that kind of thing. You know, and some people would say, you know, Greg Hardy did his thing. He was... Um, his appeal was kind of successful in that his partner didn't turn up, so you know, the conviction was overturned and that kind of thing, you know. So, you know, that's basically the size of it. But, you know, do you really need to be bringing somebody like Greg Hardy into the sport? What is he bringing you that some other guy can't, you know? He's bringing you a whole heap of fucking baggage. But to get back to the point, like, you know, the MMA Journalist Association has a little problem in that, you know, an awful lot of people have no sympathy for journalists in MMA media. They think that's great, you know, to get to go and ask questions of Conor McGregor and Dana White and that kind of thing, what the hell are you guys complaining about? But if you're going to hold the sport to account, and I'd recommend anybody have a look at the clip of Luke Thomas talking on Submission Radio. I don't agree with Luke in its entirety. Like Luke wouldn't claim to be a journalist. It's not a word he uses about himself. I think he talked about uh, sort of you know celebrity-based or uh, content as what he's doing. You know that. But you know to me that's a cop out. It is journalism. What we're doing when we're covering the sport, the very fact that we report on fights, that's journalism. Mm-hmm. That we report fights are happening, that's journalism. So there's a, there's a grey area there, and we need to decide on a set of policies, and we also need as journalists to speak with one voice we need to say that it's not okay that the UFC bans people for doing their job we do this to spread the word to the fans we're the fans voice in the press conferences we're the fans voice uh, at the ringside at the octagon side we're asking questions on behalf of the fans at the post-fight press conferences and the post-fight scrums right so out of respect for the fans and the media the UFC needs to change the way it does things and not just see us as people be silenced when we say things that they don't don't like so it's a really really difficult situation and there's a load of people in the MMAJA getting stick over how they reacted to this and that they didn't react fast enough and you know there was talks of boycotts and everything else like that personally I don't think it would have been right to boycott this event you know you have we fight to get coverage into newspapers and onto mainstream outlets. And if we then boycott them, editors are going to look at us and they go, you know, well, what are yeah. you guys doing for us anyway? You know, so it's a really fraught discussion. My suggestion was that at the time the Hardy fight takes place, that we don't cover from Octagon side, that we go to the media room and we do it that way instead. Mm-hmm. Now, that is, you know, if there's no resolution with the UFC, if the UFC doesn't come back and say, we're sorry, we, we fucked up, the PR person overstepped the mark here, of course you're allowed to ask whatever you like in these situations. Because in fairness to Dana, he's usually pretty good. Yeah. Like, you know, if you doesn't want to answer a question, you won't answer a question. And in the scrum that Sean Al-Shati had, and the, the tape of that was made available to everybody in the MMAJA afterwards, you can hear Dana go, look, I'm just going to walk away if there's any more questions about this. I've said all I'm prepared to say on the Greg Hardy subject, and that's it. And to me, that's fine. If yeah. he doesn't want to answer the questions, that's fine. We can then draw our own conclusions from that. So it's a very, very complicated situation. But to be honest, I welcome it, because a conflict like this is going to help the MMAJA 100%. to decide who it is and what they can do for, for journalists and for readers and for viewers and for listeners. Look, I I think the MMAJ has been has been pretty useless to be honest up until now they've really done nothing but you know I, I was talking to I won't say who was talking to but like, I was talking to like, <laughs> like what's the point of this you know maybe I'll you know I was like why would I even bother and how they handle this I think was actually pretty good you know I think uh, look, the UFC, we can criticize them an awful lot and for not giving interviews and for being, you know, hard to work with and everything. But in fairness now to the UFC, they usually wouldn't do a thing like this. They would, usually wouldn't tell you, don't ask this question. You know, Dana White gets all sorts of questions at, at uh, press conferences. Fighters, you can ask them what you want. You know, in fairness to them now, and, you know, we, I, I come on here and criticize them all the time. So, you know, there's that point. And I think the, the resolution was pretty good. 
Um, the Greg Hardy thing, look, we've talked about it loads of times now, and I, I don't want to kind of dwell on that, I want to stay on the, the whole um, uh, journalism thing, but just one po- quick point, and like, I'm I'm unsure of this, like, uh, like I, I listen to different people on this, you know, me as, as well, I'm not a big fan of politics and stuff like that, and I think this kind of gets into that thing, but I heard someone say, you know, a lot of people are talking about Greg Hardy, you know, giving him a second chance, and, you know, he, look, even if he, even if he did these crimes, which he has kind of been cleared of now, but even if he did them, look, everyone deserves a second chance, he's, you know, he, he's gone through whatever he had to go through, uh, and, you know, he's out the other side of it, and he deserves a second chance, and I saw, heard someone say, okay, he deserves a second chance to make a living, but he doesn't deserve a second chance to be a superstar, which was kind of... I kind of resonate with me. I think that's probably the truth of it here. And, you know, maybe, you know, he probably shouldn't be fighting in the UFC. But look, the fact that he is fighting in the UFC is, look, that's a fact now. And, you know, we can argue whether we don't like it or not. But the fact that they put him on the card with Rachel Ostevich, which is kind of what started all this, is just absolutely shocking. Obviously, she's been, you know... um, a victim of, of um, uh, allegedly, anyway, at, at this stage, a victim of uh, domestic violence. So to put him on that card, and you know, when even that's hanging over him, is just absolutely shocking. On that card. But one, just one more point as well on this before we move on. Like we, I, I, I've sat here for the last what forty-four minutes and you know criticized Brian Ortega and Max Holloway for taking shots and Joanny and Jacek, you know, for not moving on and for people, you know, I, I criticize people every week. I think the journalists need a bit of criticism as well. Why didn't they just ask the questions anyway? That's what I want to know. This is the thing. I mean, that was the first thing that I would do is that, you know, somebody says to me, don't ask that question. That is the one question that you are guaranteed mm-hmm. that I'm going to ask. You know, it's, that's as simple, it's as simple as that. Nobody can stop me asking the question. And if the interview ends there, then so be it. Because I'll come out and I'll write exactly why that was to happen, you know. And, you know, anybody set in preconditions. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic has written a new book in Swedish about his career, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently there was all sorts of contracts that had to be signed for anybody who wanted to interview him and that kind of thing. And I wrote to them just, you know, for the laugh, going, ah, oh, he's very chance I can talk to his laptop and it didn't even come back with any contact they just said no because I've been previously said I won't sign those things with any interview with anybody whatsoever like I say we're adults we can talk about these things and again it's one of those things that Dana White should get credit for he answers questions that you know most other executives in any uh, organisation would bat away you know that kind of thing but seriously go out there ask your questions and do it do it in the public eye I mean the MMAJA is growing and as I say I welcome the fact that this happened but go out there and be a journalist and let these things happen for themselves you know but again it was just it was so tone deaf to put the two of them on the same card and you know what the UFC need to own that they need to say do you know what we never thought of it it never crossed our minds that this is a bad thing to do and we're sorry we did it Mm -hmm. now Dana came out and said they spoke to her afterwards and she's no problem with it that's fine but she never should have had to be asked about it neither should he it just should never should have happened and everybody needs to look at how they acted in the situation and learn from it Mm -hmm. 100% and look uh, I I think a thing as well that a lot of people criticise journalists from you know uh, you you made the point about Luke Thomas and I listened to Luke Thomas's thing he did as well the, the, the video he had up on YouTube YouTube and you know I, I I don't agree with him either like saying that only people who kind of break news or are, are uh, you know uncover stories are journalists like if, if only people who break news are journalists then we've won journalists in MMA and that's Ari Hawani and no one else because yep. basically nobody else breaks uh, news like I think coming on here and analysing fights and saying things are good or saying things is bad I, th- like, I think that's journalism and you can put a bit of entertainment on it you know people are not going to listen to this unless it's entertaining and, and <laughs> they want to hear it and I, I don't do that on purpose I, like I try it to be entertaining but I try I will not tell a lie like in here I'll come in here and tell it well I might tell a lie but I, no, I just try to tell the truth like and the, the, the kind of point I'm getting to is like Okay, we we talk about real journalism in MMA, and that's maybe why they wouldn't ask that question because they're not real journalists and they don't want to lose their credential or whatever. Like, is that that's that's a problem too, isn't it? You know, you I think you can be like if I was in that situation, I like I wouldn't be one for standing up and and asking questions at press conference and stuff anyway. You know, I've been to a few, and I just that's kind of not my gig. I I like to talk mm. about people rather than you know talk to people. <laughs> You know, but it's it's like someone in my situation who maybe say goes and goes and interviews people and all like they should be and I probably think I would if I was in that situation stand up and ask that question at that time like why are people in MMA so afraid to lose their credential? Like, I wouldn't give a shit. Like, if I lost my credential, it'd actually benefit me because I could start giving out about people all the time and there isn't really that many um, that many events anyway. But, like, can you see it from the side of people kind of afraid to ask a question because they're afraid to lose their credential or should that not even be a thought in their heads? 
Well, no, it's, it should absolutely be a top in their heads because you're talking about people's livelihoods as well, Sean, sure. right? A fellow who can't report for Bleacher Report or MMA Fighting or Junkie or whoever who can't report, he's absolutely useless and he's not going to have a job if he can't get accredited for fights, right? But again, if we back up the truck a little bit further, the UFC should not be threatening to pull in fellas' credentials because Ariel broke a story or because somebody said something that Dana didn't like or whatever it happens to be. Now, if a guy does something totally egregious, right, and he writes lies and slander and everything else like that, that's why he shouldn't have a credential to begin with, right? But the idea that the UFC is the arbiter of who gets to, to report on the sport is a bit fucking ropey, you know? And it shouldn't be there like an axe hanging over your head saying, that, oh, you know, maybe I can't ask Dana about performance enhancing drugs and John Jones and, and this kind of thing, you know, or Greg Hardy or whatever it happens to be, you know? Because, you know, then you're burying news for the sake of it because you're trying to protect yourself. So there's a very fine line there. And the UFC needs to come out clearly and say, look, at, you know, we've nothing against people doing their jobs and reporting the, the news and that kind of thing. You know, we obviously some things are commercially sensitive around, say, the deal that uh, with WME, IMG and those kinds of things, you know, that could be a little bit sensitive, that kind of thing. But you know what? That, that happens all the time in the corporate world. That's what happens with insider trading. It's what happens when, when people break takeover stories, when they break transfer stories from Manchester United and that kind of thing. It happens. It's part of the game, you know. Loose lips sink ships and the same thing happens for the USC, you know. We always hear about fighters signing one side of a contract and the other side not, not signing and that kind of thing. The, these things come out. But the UFC needs to make it a safe place for journalists to work so that lads aren't worried about these things, you know, because to be honest, this is sport and it's entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. It's actually not that big a deal. You know, nobody is out to get Dana White. Dana White's a, like he's gas. He's good crack and everything else like that, right? You know, he runs his business. I could be enormously critical of some of the things he does and says he's a fine fella, as is Artem Lobov, as is Conor McGregor and John Cavanaugh and these fellas, right? Nobody has anything personal against him, which at, at times they do tend to believe that this is a personal thing. Like, I certainly don't. and I don't know any journalist who has anything personal against anybody else. There. And they need to to sit up and to realize that we're in this together. Again, if I go back to covering NBA games, right? I've walked into the locker room with LeBron James and talked to him. I've done the same thing with uh, with Kyrie Irving there just a few weeks, or not with Kyrie Irving, with uh, Jonas Yurebko and Steph Curry just a few weeks ago in Oakland, California. These guys understand, right? And they'll play a straight bat. You might ask them something controversial. Indeed, I'll probably ask some of the Warriors players controversial things about a rift in their dressing room soon, and they probably won't answer me. They'll give me an answer saying, oh, that's all water under the bridge or whatever, and that's how it goes. And the UFC needs to do the same thing. Dana needs to sort of back down for that. The PR team needs to back down from that and say, you know what, we'll answer this question about Greg Hardy and then we'll park it and that's that. You know, it's not impossible. It's not rocket science. And in creating this situation, it makes it look worse for everybody involved. Yeah, 100%. All right, let's let's move on. And there's no really easy easy way to move on to this next one. But, we're, we're you know, we're talking about MMA journalism. There was obviously, you know, a really, really sad uh, uncovering by Front Row Brian on uh twitter uh this week that ian kidd who obviously used to work for bloody elbow and did lots of work on, on pds and everything i had him on the podcast a couple of times talking uh, about pds has been um convicted uh, of and I'll, I'll read here from the evening times uh they said they also the the people uh, him and uh, his uh, his co-accused or uh, uh they took are permitted to be taken lewd images of kids in addition the pervert the perverts they say had extreme porn in their possession and depicted people performing sex acts with animals obviously you know this is absolutely horrendous he has gone and deleted all of his accounts and everything i think bloody elbow have gone and, and deleted uh, everything he's kind of been at i've gone and deleted the, the two podcasts he was in you know obviously there was nothing spoken about on him apart from pds as people have heard but you know it's it's it was shocking to me obviously it's really disgusting and you know what what can you say really about this i'm glad i have you on to talk about this uh, this week anyway because but like you know this is you know i think a lot of people you know we're talking about mma journalism as well you know a lot of people cr- criticize bloody elbow and stuff for coming out of it but like you get you know in that situation you know you you talk a lot about uh, about journalism and, and pr and stuff like the way to explain to people how like a company would handle something like that and why it kind of took so long for him to actually come out with with a situ- with a, a statement and kind of what are your whole thoughts on the on the whole situation well essentially what they can do at the time was say, we'll say take, we'll take Ian now because Ian's been convicted right so we're not going to be libeling anybody or anything else like that in a situation where you're a public figure which is what Ian is because people read what he writes and they see him on they hear him on your podcast and everything else like that right you're within your rights to suspend him right because he's suspected of something which carries a sentence of prison time right so in terms of employment law and that kind of thing you're entitled to suspend now you're not entitled to go out and say what he's suspected of or that kind of thing if he hasn't been named in court then you're not entitled to do that right but I mean in terms of terminating his contract 
disrespect, absolutely. He brought himself and the company and everything to do with him into disrepute by doing what he did, right? And the fact that he has been associated with that, it's a horrendous thing. It's its really, really unfortunate. And like I say, bloody elbow, or like you said just there, bloody elbow come in for their share of criticism. But I think they had acted entirely correctly in this. They terminated his contract immediately. They took away anything that was suspect whatsoever. I think they basically removed all trace from him and that kind of thing. It is what he has been accused of. And I mean, the amount of victims that you're talking about in that number of photographs, children, animals, that kind of thing. It's an absolutely horrendous crime and there's nobody's going to stick up for Ian. He's not going to be welcome in any newsroom ever again. I mean, I can't remember. He did. He got a prison sentence, did he? Uh, well, uh, he got cleared of it, but he's put on the, the sex uh, register. Yeah, sex offenders and register. Sex register like and uh, he can't use the computer in a certain amount the uh, time in the day and he has to stay in and stuff like that. But no actual yeah. jail time, I don't think. Yeah, but, that, but that's basically him out of the business completely. He's never going to be back in there. If you Google a guy's name, if you Google the guy's name in 5, 10, 15 years' time, this is what's going to show up about him. That'll be the first search. So he's done in journalism, right? If he's lucky, he'll be working in a supermarket or whatever, and that'll be all he gets out of it. And that, to me, is entirely correct, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the, the problem, or not the problem, but one of the things that's, that's actually a positive in this is it brings it to light that we knew this guy, we read this guy, and yet he had this other life that we knew nothing about. Mm-hmm. This is why we were shocked and surprised to find out about it. And what that brings home, Sean, is that these are people like you and me. Pedophiles are people like you and me. People are downloading this content, creating this content, selling this content, monetizing content. They might as well be making content for RTE or for Bloody Elbow or for anybody else because this walks among us. It hides in plain sight. There are people we know. There are people who are swimming coaches, who are teachers, who are clerics, all these things that we've seen in Irish history down through the years when these things have come out. It's often the case that you say, well, you know, I mean, I think most people, if you asked them a week or 10 days ago about Ian, they would say, yeah, he's a grandfella. Mm-hmm. No problem with him whatsoever. And, you know, two weeks later, no, none of us would touch him with a barge pole. And rightly so, because that's the social price that he has to pay for the crime that he has committed. It's really unfortunate. He, like, he's the smallest victim in all of this, that he loses everything he had professionally and probably personally as well. But there are many, many other victims that we have to consider long before we ever get to Ian's situation. And bloody elbows to say we're entirely correct to do that. And in, in fairness, you know, again, this is the kind of thing, I'm not going to compare what Ian did and what Greg Hardy did, but if you like the reaction that uh, that Bloody Elbow had and they came straight out they distanced themselves from it they, they mentioned the victims and they sent their sympathies to them and that kind of thing and they erased the guy completely and unfortunately that's the way to do it the only thing I can say is I'm thankful that it happens so seldom that we don't have this happening you know twice a year in, in this field of sports journalism or mixed martial arts journalism yeah it's kind of been a week for MMA journalism that it's just been an unprecedented week really with things like we've never had to deal with before and obviously you know this is heinous thing and you know it's I, I don't know how he got away without jail time like I think that's absolutely atrocious he should be locked up in my opinion anyway but look well, I think one of the things that we need to consider about, about the consumption of pornography is often seen as being somewhat milder than actually physically raping somebody right that to me is not like I don't buy that argument right because for you to enjoy consuming pornography and now we're into the sort of philosophical level here somebody has to be used right and that, that stops that that puts you with a smoking gun in your hand right if you're paying for this if you're downloading this that, that puts a smoking gun you're just as responsible as the person in the room with that child and that's why somebody like Ian should have gone to prison that's me saying that now without having gone through the, the, the case file or anything else like that but anybody involved in that I'm sorry it's prison time it's rehabilitation it's all these things to make sure that society is safe and that you never do this again you know mm-hmm. so I'd be entirely in agreement with you there we've a long way to go unfortunately on these things but like again the positive side of it is that it's come out now there's nobody in MMA journalism will ever be able to say that we never heard of this case or we never heard of this happening now we know and we have to deal with it 100% and like all I can say is fucking people like you know Crooklyn and Mickey Alexander and stuff over in Bloody Elbow you know it's obviously very sad for them and I hope all of those people are okay and you know like obviously this was going on behind everyone's back nobody absolutely nobody knew about this you know and you can tell from how long it actually took to come out I think it was September or something like that and it didn't come yep. out until December so absolutely horrendous and you know hopefully something like this never ever happens uh, but in the, other thing, the other thing we should say as well is that if there's anybody listening to this podcast who's been uh, who's been abused in that way or anything else like that go and find help start with the likes of the Samaritans uh, the ISPCC or whoever there are organisations around the world to look after these things so that's something that you're carrying around as a burden in your life and that kind of thing go and talk to people about it your name won't be in the papers the way Ian was right mm-hmm. there are people out there who can help people in that situation and that kind of thing because often it can be to hear of a case like this imagine you're training in a gym and this happened to you as a young you know and, and now you're hearing about this and it brings all those memories back and that can be very very hard to deal with when you're sitting down to watch Cage Warriors in the UFC last night and you're thinking about this fucker on bloody elbow who was watching these kinds of things you know that, that can bring it home very close 
closely. I've seen it a lot in swimming because I know a lot of people are involved in Irish swimming when there's various scandals around that, you know. But go, there is help out there for you. There's no sense of living in the darkness on your own. There's support there if you want it, you know. 100%, yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on. You, you know, you mentioned Cage Warriors there and it was obviously a huge Cage Warriors 100 card last night. I managed to, to get you into it and I went back and, and I caught some of the Irish fights and, and, and uh, some of the big fights on it. Really, really great card, wasn't it? Just run through a, a couple of the, the big... Um, the big occurrences we could say on the card. Um, Jay Herbert beat uh, Joe McCulgan, who's, who's coming back off of a little bit of time out after two minutes. He just caught him with a big, I believe it was a, a left hook he caught him with. Or, or sorry, it was right hand actually, I think. Um, you know, Joe looked good. He just kind of got caught. I thought he was I thought he was winning the fight up until that um, um, period. Jay Herbert's obviously very good. You know, we've seen him for a long time as well. And, you know, I, Joe McCulgan just looks so good on the feet all the time. It's it's kind of when you see him losing on the feet, it's it's kind of hard to believe because he looks so good. But it was you know usually I wouldn't say someone just got caught, but that's kind of what happened in here when, when it was so so quick as well. Uh, Reese McKee as well won in at the end of the first round with with uh, sixteen seconds left. This wasn't the, the best uh, Reese I've ever seen. You know he was getting caught a good bit. It was kind of it was it was a similar enough fight to to Joe McCulgan and Jay Herbert and Reese was was definitely winning the fight. You know was and it was uh, I suppose a bit longer as well. But he kind of caught uh, Jefferson George as well and knocked him out but I like I, I think this is a fight Reese will will be glad to have got the win out of but he'll go back and look at and see ways he can improve and you know obviously coming back from that defeat in his last fight as well just want to get the the, the victory kind of out of the way and you know it was, it was definitely a very good victory as well but he can definitely improve on that and I suppose uh, maybe I hold Reese to a higher standard because, because I think he's he's so good but there was always you know Alex Lahore got a good win as well uh, Philip Mulpeter against Nicholas Dalby I know is the one you watched oh, what do you think of that fight you know Philip Mulpeter obviously was kind of dominating early a lot of takedowns a lot of wrestling domination then he got kind of a little bit tired and Nicholas Dalby just kept coming and coming and coming and, and managed to finish him in the third round yeah I think it was the conditioning that cost Philip there and it was really unfortunate because his grappling and that cut he really took it to Nicholas Dalby I didn't actually expect him I don't know why but I didn't expect him to give Dalby as good a fight as he did but then again when, when Philip got tired then especially in, uh, in the third round there and his head stopped moving completely and you can't do that against Dalby because you got to stay out of his way if he hits you at all you're in trouble you know and I thought his, his wrestling his grappling was absolutely tremendous and it was a perfect uh, it was a perfect formula to take on Dalby with because you know Dalby's a, he's a tough customer you Know, but get him down there, force him to, to carry your weight, you know, use it, press your shoulder into his jaw and that kind of thing, you know. Philip's doing really, really well on that front, but you know, that, that was like, again the condition. I'd say Philip will look back at that and go, geez, another few laps of the swimming pool might, might have paid off there a little bit. But I mean, he, he walked out there, you know, with his head held high. I mean, I thought he put up a superb performance. Dalby looked like, you know, again, I, I think the gap between Cage Warriors and the UFC is probably bigger than it's ever been now, but Dalby looks like one of those guys who might be able to bridge the gap in the next year or so. Mm-hmm, yeah, and obviously he was in, you know, he was in the UFC and, and kind of fell out of it and I thought maybe it was a little bit quickly but this was you know this was a a very very it wasn't a, I wouldn't call it a good fight but it was a hard fucking battle like this is the kind of fight you'd see in the UFC you know where these guys are fucking well, that, fighting for exactly their lives it, yeah, yeah. Like, but that, that was the thing that's why like when when Dalby was dropped like I've, I should qualify what I said there I always thought that he never should have been dropped at all and you know this is just a quick route for him to get back in there certain guys you see leaving the UFC and uh, you see them dropped and you go yeah I can understand why that happened Dalby can never get it you know and I've always seen this as being you know two three fights here and then he's back in there that's the way it should be you know 100%. and Jack Shorten as well in the, in the main event like this guy really looks like the real deal just look phenomenal everywhere you know when he got on top he was really good he's striking very good you know Mike Ekendeo look good look good as well but Jack Shore is just he's a different sort of beast in this second round and this as well was the one where Ekendeo was kind of on top for a while and I think it was the first three minutes of, of the round he was on top and then Shore managed to turn him around and just absolutely beat the shit out of him for the last 90 seconds of the round <laughs> you know a lot of people talk this is this is the perfect round like there was there was a, a few rounds uh, in in uh, in in the fights last night where you know, it was a good round to show what judging is, you know, and dominating for a fella yeah. for three, three and a half, three minutes or whatever it is on the ground is grand. But then when he gets on top of you and he beats the shit out of you for a minute, that's worth more. <laughs> so Jack Shore clearly won that round, but he got the finish anyway, regardless. And this guy, he really looks the real deal, doesn't he? Oh, he looked absolutely fantastic. And like I say, it was just, again, the, the breadth of what he was able to bring to it last night, whether it was standing or on the ground or anything else like that, he had the answer to everything they all had, you know? And he looked really, really comfortable. Even when he was when he was in bottom position, that could, he just looked really comfortable the whole way through, you know? And you'd wonder again, I think he said that as well in his post-fight comments. He was saying that, you know, I've got everything, I've got everything, you know? So, I mean, he's one of those guys that, I don't know, he probably should have another few fights at, at this level first before making a step up because a little bit like Reese McKee, like you say, Reese McKee will be glad to have gotten out of 
out with the wind. But I think Reese McKee will have learned a lot last night from that fight against Jefferson George. And I think Jack Shaw probably didn't learn as much against Ekundeo, but there's still sort of, you know, areas of his game that he can sort of close up and that kind of thing. We've seen it with the, uh, the fire kid, Tom Dukenwa, uh, going over to the UFC and that kind of thing. And it is, it's a huge step up. So, you know, they're better off to stay, a little bit like some of the Irish soccer players, they're better off to stay in the League of Ireland maybe an extra six months and then go in the middle of the summer season and then go over to England rather than sort of, you know, uh, throwing all your chips in, going all in straight away, you know. But certainly he looked a real, real, a really good prospect last night. Yeah, 100%. Uh, all right, let's move on to, to some of the questions here. Uh, support us over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash severe and my podcast. We'll run through a few of these uh, as, as quick as possible. Uh, Terrence Davidson, what on earth was that weird slow motion bell promo thing all about? Yeah, I've, I've no idea. Did you, did you see this, Phil, that uh, the, uh, the UFC tweeted like a picture of a belt with a Canadian and American flag on it and then... Um, and and then put the date as like the 29th to the 12th, which is the the night where Gustafsson and Jones yep. is on. I have no idea. Maybe some people were saying like it's a new belt. I think if it was a fight they had ready to announce, let's say if Gustafsson was injured or something, I think they probably would have announced it. But this was odd, wasn't it? It was really weird. And I was thinking, you know, GSP, is it a 165-pound belt? But Dana said during the week, there's no 165-pound belt, Probably which is so. a guarantee that there's <laughs> going to be one. Yeah. So like, that, that was really weird. I mean, it would be interesting to see because they do need a really, really big pay-per-view to end off the year, you know, the financial year, if nothing else, you know. So GSP against whoever for 165 Conor McGregor Khabib who knows you know I mean both of those now is, I think it's tomorrow actually there uh, in front of the Nevada State Athletic Commission again you know so uh, I don't know I've no idea what they were doing but I, I do know that they have like tons of these films and you know like some of them don't ever get aired at all I've seen one or two that have never been broadcast at all by the UFC you know so I don't know if they just showed that by mistake you know some guy got a USB memory stick and goes there you go that's what you have to show during the fights tonight I just put it out there with shit I was never supposed to play that at all you know so you never know these it's just really odd yeah well, very odd. Uh, Don Sydney, what's next for Joanna? Two losses to Rose. Um, now a flyweight. I think she probably should go back down. I, I'm looking at the rankings here. I think Michelle Watterson fight makes a lot of sense. I think that'd be a good fight. Probably a good uh, a good stand up fight. Another one from from Don Sydney as well. Um, glad they didn't they, they stopped the fight with Ortega. They stopped it on in the corner between rounds. That's the thing we didn't really touch on. That was brilliant, wasn't it? That and that's something which would, should really happen more, and especially to a guy like Ortega who had taken a hell of a beating there in the fourth round, especially. Oh yeah, and in the fourth round, you were looking at him going, he's not going away. He's like, he's not giving up. I mean, we, we looked at when we talked about the Gunnar Nelson fight, and when your man t- tapped, you know, basically, you know, when Oliveira tapped as soon as he got the arm around his neck. That's not the kind of fighter that Ortega is. But like, the, the job of the referee and the job of the officials is to protect the fighters at all times, right? That's why if you're not intelligent, intelligently defending yourself, that's it. Ortega was intelligently defending himself, but he was risking the sight in his left eye, and you can't leave that decision to the fighter, and you can't leave that decision to his corner. So calling the doctor and stopping that fight and waving it off when the doctor said that's it that was absolutely perfect and we saw some other stoppages there was a fight uh, which one was it oh it was um, Håkan Foss the Norwegian uh, on Cage Warriors last night fighting against Aaron Khalid and uh, there was a Darce choke there and the referee it was Mark Goddard actually was checking to see if Håkan was still uh, conscious and he figured no he's not and he said no that, that's it he waved off the fight said the fight was over uh, Khalid won by the, the Darce choke and you know Foss was going what 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 I wasn't out he was going son you were out that's it mm-hmm. you know and even if Mark Goddard Mark Goddard is there to make that call and even if it's wrong to me it was the right thing to do because he's protecting the fighter he didn't have anything else to go on uh, Dan Hardy was saying afterwards on the commentary that uh, that Foss's legs were limp as well you know and in that instance you got to call it and it was absolutely brilliant to see it and what's even better to see is that people didn't criticise that decision they didn't say that Ortega should have been let out so I think people are coming around to this idea now that we don't have to have somebody stretching out of the octagon to have a great fight and to have a great uh, decision or to have a great refereeing decision to stop a fight like that yeah 100% uh, last couple here could you see Gunnar Nelson from Johnny Byrne headline card in Ireland 2018 yeah I definitely could and the very last one Brian Harrington who got dominated more Conor by Habib or Ortega by Max I, I think it was I think it was uh, Ortega by Max like I, I think McGregor for a lot of that fight kind of got laid on it was the end of one round he got beaten badly alright and then the, at the finish but the kind of prolonged beating that Ortega uh, got from Max was was a lot yeah, he more, got, I think. He yeah, got yeah. clipped so many times with really, really good hooks and jabs and that kind of thing. I mean, Connor was more stifled, you know. I mean, he did got he got a he took his fair share of ground a pound at the end of one of the rounds there, that kind of thing. But and then the, the choke, obviously, or the the face crank or whatever you want to call it at the end of the fight there. But Ortega was sort of comprehensively outpunched on the feet and that kind of thing, and he took an awful lot more damage than what Connor did as well. hundred percent. All right, everybody, thanks, thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much, Philip, for joining me. Follow him over on Twitter uh, at Philip uh, Philip O'Connor even. Uh, check out all his work over in Riders. Hopefully, I'll have him on again. I think Graham is going to like a wedding in two weeks as well or something, so I might get him back on again. <laughs> again if he I'll has be time. right here, baby. It'll be a, my pleasure to join you. Legend. Thanks very much. All right, everybody. Uh, 
I'll leave you on the inspirational quote of the week. Here it is. You may not be there yet, but you're closer than you were yesterday. I'll see you next Tuesday. Or probably Sunday. Good luck.